Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Well, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. My name is Rob. I am the MC for the day because Logan Daly is one-handed. He had a shoulder <laughs> surgery yesterday, and uh, he's on all kinds of drugs, and uh, all legal, of course, but we don't want him on air uh, in that state. And so uh, here we are. And we have with us one of our regular one of our regulars, Jim Bartlett. Hi, guys. And special guest, Brent Billings. Hello. I was going to ask with Logan out whose responsibility it would be to make Jen laugh at the beginning of the episode, but that was taken care of straight away. It works every time. Uh, If you ask Logan what he's on, he's on oxycodone. Oh, crap. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Coding, not codeine. Oxycodone, huh? Yeah, like he's doing some medical coding. No, there you go. I thought he was maybe... (laughs) Writing a program. Yeah, or that. That's what I would prefer to do. I just, I want to know if he's any better at chess. I don't know, but I've heard great things about the Queen's Gambit, if anyone is interested in chess. I haven't actually watched it myself, but. That was totally a Queen's Gambit reference, so. Okay, well, there you go. Good catch. Good catch. (laughs) I saw episode one last night. It is totally worth the watch. I'm excited to watch episode two. Nice. Yeah, great story. All right. Well, uh, so I do have a question. Speaking of Logan, he always refers to you as Jennifer. Is that actually uh-huh. how you pronounce your name? No. <laughs> uh, that's how my name is spelt. It's J-E-N. And it's really weird because I'm getting an echo. J-E-N-N-I-F-I-E-R. Yes, that is that is my question. I actually asked Logan about this. He's like, you know, I've been doing it like that for so long, I'm not even sure what's real anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Brent, why don't you uh, tell, tell our folks uh, just who you are? We reference you all the time. Uh, we call out your name quite a bit. So they are probably wondering, like, who is this guy? Well, first and foremost, I'm an avid listener of the Mission Ridge Church podcast. I have heard every episode to date. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Um, and I'm also the co-host of the Bama podcast. Marty has spoken at your church a handful of times, so people will be familiar with Marty and I am the other half of the podcast that he hosts. And the technical expert for all things Bama, I, I assume. Yeah. I run the website, do all the editing, all that, all the dirty work. Cool. Cool. Brent and Logan and I worked together at Moscow Real Life uh, not too long ago and uh, really have always enjoyed our relationship. And uh, man, glad to have you join us today. Yeah, glad I could be here. We do have a shortcoming. I, di- I missed it. And Brent missed it because he, he, he listened for it and, and missed it. So I wasn't Jennifer, really listening this for is, it. I was warned to listen for it, but I wasn't paying close enough attention to actually catch it. Uh, so, yeah, when you were um, talking about Tove versus... Ra'ah. Ra'ah, thank you. 
you mixed them up in the time that you were talking about generous was tove and then but then you said tove was greedy and i was like i don't think that's right so yeah <laughs> yeah tove is not greedy weren't you saying hurrah though instead of ra so i oh here's the thing hurrah and ra I've seen different scholars reference it different ways. Yeah, I was looking this up ahead of time to see, like, wait a minute, maybe I'm, because who knows? Like, I don't know how to speak Hebrew. Like, maybe oh, I'm no. the crazy one. <laughs> but I've always said ra'ah, and then you were saying hurrah, and I was like, well, wait a second. And I look it up, and the first results that I found used hurrah, but then other results um, from, like, rabbis that I, was found, that I found were using ra'ah, and I'm like, well... If a rabbi is using ra'ah, then there's got to be something to that. But there also seems to be a lot of people who use hurrah. So I came to no conclusions, and I, I couldn't necessarily bring it as a shortcoming, but I, I had to ask. So the uh, prefix, prefix ha just means the. So when you say the evil, um, that's ha-ra'ah. Ra'ah, I'm not sure... When you look at tov or tov ah, I don't know what the suffix ah adds to to the word. I don't know what that what that does to that. But I have seen both the tov and tovah and hara and ra'ah in different literature, and we just try to represent the same way over and over and over again. So we've talked about hara when we went through the oh man. Who was it? Abraham? N Jonah. No, wasn't here for that. The Jonah conversation. So at any rate, um, yeah, that's why the difference is there. Don't totally know what the nuances are, but uh, I have seen it referenced different ways. And, and even, and we'll tell you, like, this is the pronunciation. There are actually several deviations of the pronunciations um, for any Hebrew word. It seems to be, and this may be a modern, more modern Hebrew. I don't know that this would necessarily apply to uh, biblical text, but it seems that tov is just your general good word for good. And then tova is more of like a goodness or a favor or something, mm. which I think makes sense with the concept of, a good eye you look on on something with with you you look at it with a favorable eye i get you yeah i like that yeah that's really cool that's good stuff but again i have absolutely no expertise so i i don't know <laughs> there hebrew has so few words that there's so much meaning packed into each one of them uh, there's there's a lot that could be packed in there that i have no idea is happening Well, there's a, there's a number of things and we're always learning. That's, that's the fun part about this is every time I go to the scriptures, every time I, I dive into a parable, I find something new that I didn't see before. And, uh, and so we're telling you what we're learning as we're learning it. So, um, just keep digging into your scriptures is what I would say there. We are going to talk about, Pardes. It's a hermeneutic Jewish 
hermeneutic tool. And Marty was the one that first introduced this concept to me. And Brent, you've been around Marty probably more than anybody I know when it comes to having this conversation of this hermeneutic tool. So take us through the weeds. All right. Um, so Pardes, Pardes, um, much like Hebrew, you can pronounce it a number of ways and uh, make a good argument for either one. Um, but the, the letters are P-R-D-S, and then you, again, like Hebrew, add in some extra vowel sounds um, to turn it into a word. Um, the Hebrew text is all, all consonants, and the, and the vowels come from um, context or uh, later on some little marks around the, the letters. But um, so P is your Peshat, and that's just your surface level, level reading. The what do the words at face value communicate? And uh, and I, I think you said in the sermon like this is this is where most of us have lived for a long time. Uh, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. This is one of my uh, passion points. Like this isn't this isn't uh, like a secret knowledge. Like, oh, you've heard it this way, but it actually means this. It's, oh, it's actually, you've heard it this way, but there's a deeper, deeper meaning to it. And it does not invalidate the Peshat meaning. So it just like surface level reading, it kind of has this negative connotation of, of like a shallow understanding. And it is like, that's not inaccurate, but it, it doesn't, it shouldn't have that negative connotation. So if, if all you've known previously is the Peshat level reading of something, that's not anything to feel bad about, but there are deeper levels to understanding. There's a wider breadth of whatever it's talking about that we can explore. So how do you get to that, that wider understanding is, uh, the remez and the remez is a hint within the passage that you're looking at. So in this case, Matthew 20, there's going to be some word or phrase or idea, perhaps, usually, hopefully it's a word or a phrase, especially, um, that you can link to a story in the Old Testament. And that, that hint will lead you to that Old Testament passage. And then you look at the Old Testament passage and say, okay, what is the context of this story? What is this story about? What is this story teaching me? And then you apply that understanding back to the original story. And then finally you have sowed, um, which is kind of outside of this whole process because sowed is, is the mystery of God. It is something revealed to you by God that you can't be taught by someone else. So it's, it's part of the understanding, but you can't like, there's no way to get to it. You have to, you have to wait for God to reveal it to you. Yeah. There's no mathematical formula. We, so th with sowed in particular, we, we talk oftentimes about Peter making his pronouncement that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, this was revealed to you by God himself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and you can look at that a lot of different ways. Like, does that mean that Jesus hadn't said anything up to that point um, that would have indicated that? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Cause we thought Jesus was saying stuff like that prior, but then Jesus mm -hmm. says you couldn't have learned that except 
directly from God. It's like, whoa, okay. So that's something to think about. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, that's the classic easy example of, of what soda is like, um, in the scripture. It, and it's just, it's so clear. And, and I, I love that story. For me, my experience with that is there's been a number of times, even recently, where I'm really just kind of wrestling with the scripture and I'm really trying to figure out what God wants me to talk about. And I'll have this moment, sometimes it's when I'm driving and God will say something to me. I'm like, oh man. And it's just something deep in my soul. And and I don't know if I even communicate really well to people that, that this is like, this is something God told me. Like, it, it really doesn't matter, you know, that I say that because it probably doesn't have the impact on other people that it has on me just to say, man, God really revealed something to me in this moment. It's just this, like this connection that I have with God in that moment where he's revealing something, revealing his heart. And, and yeah, I get to talk about it because I get paid to do that. But beyond that, I'm here in this, doing this because I get to experience those kinds of things. Like that's mm. like, if, if you guys don't ever get to hear me speak again, I could be okay with that. Me never hearing God speak to me again, that I could not live with. And what is yeah. the context when, so you said sometimes that's when you're driving, like what are the other times, like what sort of setting or environment are you in when you have that experience where you feel like God's speaking to you? You know, there's, when I set aside time for, for just studying his word, but I, what, I don't know what it is about me and driving and just really be able to process through scripture, but it's just, I, I, I've had that happen a lot of different places, but recently I, I get a lot of processing done because because I'm driving and, and I don't know, it's, um, our, our kids still, I have two of my kids still need me to drive for them quite a bit, even though they're over 18. And, and so it's, that could seem like, well, that's problematic because that takes you away from your work, but I actually take my work with me. <laughs> I'm always processing. So, well, and it seems like you probably have uh, a lot of time on reserve to spend thinking about this. <laughs> Just on reserve. Only reserve. In 500 years, somebody's going to find a hard drive full of Mission Ridge Church podcasts, and they're going to listen to it, and they're going to say, I don't know what reserve is, but it must have been really important (laughs) considering how much they talk about it. (laughs) And and I just, I use reserve as, you know, that's the archetype, right? It's it's every street in this town, but... That one's the worst. So let's talk about the remez of this particular story. Uh, so we talked about the the labors in the vineyard, and there's a couple things that we have to mention here. So first and foremost, I made the statement that whenever, whenever a rabbi uses talks about a vineyard. The vineyard is always Israel. And we see that in particular coming out of Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. And I'll read this for you. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard and a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it out, cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for to yield grapes, but yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I'll tell you what I'll do for my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall be pruned. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I'll command the clouds in the rain, um, and they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasing planting. And he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold an outcry. So that's early on in Isaiah. This is one of the, you know, we're, we're five chapters in, right? Into Isaiah. And, and God uses this metaphor and, and the rabbis are going to adopt this metaphor and talk about this metaphor for whatever um, they're trying to communicate about Israel. So that's uh, that's one of the possible remezes. Um, you know, Marty says that every remez is up for debate. In other words, um, we may see a connection that someone else doesn't see, and and it may lead us to really wrestle with the text. I think that's the more important part of the whole remez and um, Peshat. Um, yeah, I was going to mention that. It's it's always a debate. And also, never underestimate Jesus' ability to have a single remez that points to multiple stories uh, with multiple meanings that both bring <laughs> a new light to whatever he's talking about. So... Yeah, the the debate is like there's no there's no final answer for any of this stuff. Now, I think Marty brings up the idea that um, there may be a connection to Isaiah sixty one five through six. Yeah, that's the one we talk about in the podcast. So I'll read that. Uh, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. So talk about that connection and, and just what that means, you know, as, as, as you guys have wrestled with that, Brent. Yeah, kind of the angle we took at it was uh, like that, that initial connection there, the idea of foreigners being your vine dressers it's like well wait a minute this is my vineyard why why are the foreigners here and um like it, it initially seems like this negative thing uh but then when you look at that wider context of isaiah 61 it, it's actually this um this very hopeful passage this you know the subtitle i have in my bible is the year of the lord's favor it's like okay this is actually God pouring out this huge blessing and you're going to have 
strangers shepherding your flocks because everybody's getting involved in this. You got to bring in strangers because your flocks are going crazy. You're bringing in mm. foreigners and blessing them with the work of your vineyard. So, uh, it's, it's a beautiful passage to think about. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's where we take it in, in, uh, in Bama anyway. Yeah, and I love this in verse 6, but you shall be called the priest of the Lord. In other words, your role is going to be very, it's going to be priestly. You, you're, you're going to help people connect with God. You're, you're inviting them in, and, and you get to be part of that process. And, and so it's, to me, it's almost like when someone first comes, first comes to the church, they will start out as a, from a service standpoint, they'll either start serving as a greeter or in the tech booth or, you know, something working with children, um, something very hands-on, very tactile. But I, I just love watching those people start to become priests, start to become pastors, start to become people that help other people connect to God and, and, uh, and Brent, I even think, Brent, of the role you're in, like, you probably didn't picture this as part of your future, what you're doing today, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, no, not not even remotely. Um, I mean, I started back at um, Real Life in Post Falls, and I was just interested in helping out. And, and uh, you know, they had me start running a camera uh, for church services, and I was helping out. Uh, with audio and, and video stuff for youth group and, and just, you know, I've just been here doing, doing the thing the whole time. And, and this is what God has turned it into, which is completely different than I ever would have imagined at any point in my life. So, yeah. And, and sometimes when I'm working with someone who's, who's been like in a role, a service role for a long time and, and, and new people are coming in and they, they feel like they're being pushed out. And I'm like, no, you're being pushed up. Mm-hmm. Like God's calling you to rise up to, to a new level level of service to more of a priestly role. And on top of that, if you think of that, uh, like you, you talked about with um, Isaiah five, where Israel is the vineyard. So you have here in Isaiah 61, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. These people that I don't know are coming in and blessing me. Right. So, I mean, there's just like God's pouring down blessing on, on his people in the land and you're bringing people in and they're blessing you. And, and there's just like, there's so much blessing. That's awesome. That's Touching. awesome good imagery of uh, generosity and just caring for everyone in your community and bringing them alongside you. Say that again. I'm processing. (laughs) Well, just that like foreigners will come into your field and work it like us bringing alongside somebody who maybe doesn't know Christ. Like we are being an example of God's generosity by doing that. And like foreigners coming into Israel and getting to experience the blessing that God was pouring on the Israelites. Does that make sense? 
I now said it differently than how I said it the first time. So <laughs> I do that. I can't, I can't say it the same way twice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, one of the things that I truly believe is that if you are alive, you have the breath of God in you and you have unbelievable potential. And so to think like, oh, they're not a Christian yet, wherever that line is where you become a Christian, mm -hmm. um, because hopefully you're always making progress. So to, to have someone come in and you think, oh, they're not, they're not there yet, whatever there is. But then the breath of God is in them. That potential is in them. That fruit can be growing out of them, even though it needs some pruning, you know, the John 15 idea. It needs, it needs more care, but, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean God can't use that person where they are. Right. Right. Yeah. My best friend from high school came to Christ by playing Christ. <laughs> In like a, in a school play? A church play. A church yeah. play. So, wow. So uh, he was a coworker with one of the guys from our church. And he said, hey, I think you'd great, be great at this. Will you come play Jesus for us? And, and he grew up in, you know, Catholic church with just, just an inkling of, of who Christ was. Christ is, you know, like he had very little connection with Christ and yet he's playing Christ in this play and through that process got connected with the church, came to Christ, went to Bible school, you know, used by God. And, uh, and the guy that invited him in actually is now a pastor. And so I think there's something about God can use people that have that good eye, that eye that sees the, the tova in people and, and is looking to, to call that out and to mind that and bring it to the forefront. I oftentimes think in terms of, uh, Brent, I'm just thinking in terms of what you said is like, we have the breath of life inside of us, you know, God breathes into us and, and, and that's part of being image bearers of God, right? regardless of whether we choose to acknowledge that we're image bearers or not, some people refuse to acknowledge that, but they still represent God in some way, shape or form. There's something about them that is redemptive. And boy, is that hard to see sometimes <laughs> like there are, I think anyone can very clearly picture at least one person in the world where it is, so difficult to see any redemptive quality in them. Yeah. But that's yeah. yeah. like when you step back and think about it and you, you forget about that particular face and you just think about how God works and how life works and how like you, it's, it's so hard, but we have to try to see the potential in people, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so that, that is parties. We will continue to come back to back to this conversation each week. Sometimes we will talk about the remez and, and what we believe that remez means and how it's connected and, and the drosh. This next week, 
uh, we'll do that in particular because I think it really adds to the story. Uh, sometimes we'll just teach about it based off of uh, the way uh, the Ramez and Drash has impacted us, and we'll just teach from it, and then we'll talk about it here in footnotes. But uh, excited to wrestle through these parables. And for me, like I said, it every time I engage with them, well, the parables are really dangerous because I could just spend, you know, 60 hours wrestling and with them and never write anything down and never have anything ready for a sermon and <laughs> and and not do the rest of my work they have to do, too. So I have to be careful because I just love them so much. There's so much depth there. And and it's kind of like, where do we like what's how big of a story do we tell here is is the wrestle. And I. Um, you know, with New Year's Day, I, I was trying to have time with family, but I was also wrestling with like, God, what do we even say on this? What, what, uh, how many parables are you going through in this series? Is that public information? Can I ask that? We're going to, so the, the title is seven parables. Um, but one week we're actually hitting four or five parables that are s- smaller, it's about the same number of verses of what we covered this week, but they're really small parables, and and we're calling them little treasures. Um, and they have they actually have a lot to to talk about treasures, as it were. So, yeah, the, the parables are great. But yeah, seven weeks of parables, and then we jump into the Lent season. Okay. Well, I, I'm glad to be here for this one because I think this, I don't know, I'd have to think about it before I give like a final answer, but I, I think this might be my favorite parable. I come back to this one a lot. This is one I, I haven't spent a bunch of time on before this. This was not my go-to parable. So that's, uh, it may be become, it may become my uh, new, new favorite. Jen, you you look like you're ready to say something. Well, I was wondering what makes this your favorite parable. Uh, well, and and when I say I come back to it a lot, I don't necessarily like come back and read it a lot. It just seems to come up situations in my life seem to come up where this parable seems to apply. Mm. Mm. That makes sense. And it's so like that concept of ain tova and ain ra or hara. <laughs> Now I feel like I have to qualify it every time I say it. Um, that concept, when I feel like, you know, I see someone looking at a situation and they're assuming the worst in someone. And I'm like, well, how can we do that? Like, are you sure about that? Like, wouldn't it be better to assume that that their intentions are good and then end up being wrong? And we're like, well, we tried versus assuming that their intentions are, are bad and really they're just doing the best that they can do. And yeah, this, this, I don't know, for whatever reason, this one just seems to come up a lot for me. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe favorite isn't the right word, but, but most applicable or most meaningful or something yeah. like that. I apply this one personally a lot. And I, I know Marty has talked about this, and and so I've had the this concept of the good eye versus the bad eye. 
you know, I've had that playing in my mind for, for a couple of years. And, and just for, I'll tell you from personal experience, I always do better when I assume the best and someone surprises me versus I assume the worst and I surprise myself that I was just being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's never a fun moment to, to come to that realization. <laughs> well, I think when you're jerk. looking for the worst in people, it's really easy to find it. Like. <laughs> well, yeah, because if, if you don't find the original thing, you can always find something else, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I missed it by this much. Yeah, it was a country mile, but keep going. And And the thing is, is once I, for me personally, once I start down the path of, of having a bad eye with the guy on reserve, that it becomes a pattern. There it is again. <laughs> it becomes a pattern. And, and eventually I'm, I'm applying that same bad eye towards, towards my wife, who really is an amazing person you know, or my son or my neighbor, you know, or my coworker or, or someone within the church. And, and it just becomes this pattern that I don't want to be a part of. And so I need to build, actively build a different pattern. And so quite literally, I, when I'm like, man, God bless you. Like that's, I'm, I'm literally blessing people as I'm driving down reserve. That's that's become my new process. <laughs> Have you guys ever thought about recording this podcast while you're driving down reserve? <laughs> oh, that would be like yeah, car, car karaoke with James Corden. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Take a drive with Rob. <laughs> well, yeah, let's not do the karaoke part with Rob, but. <laughs> no, no, you've heard me. <laughs> All right. So let's, um. There's something else I want to I want to wrestle with real quick here, guys. Uh, Matthew six, uh, we jumped into Matthew six and we kind of compared that and it, uh, we, we used that to explain the the good eye versus the bad eye. But I I had to wrestle with with some of the wording in Matthew six, um, so. Matthew, the manuscripts that we have today are all in the Greek. Jesus was not a Greek speaker. He would have either spoken Hebrew or Aramaic or, or both. And probably in his rabbinical role would have been primarily or predominantly Hebrew. And so whenever I consider what Jesus is, is saying or trying to say or how he, what words he's using and, and how he's using those words the best tool we have for doing that is connecting the Greek words that we see in, in the gospels to the Greek words in the Septuagint and then figuring out what the Hebrew word that, that they would have been using and, and doing a little translating. And in Matthew 20, the two words that we would think both for evil and for good, they match with what we would picture connecting back to the Septuagint. In Matthew 6, 
both Matthew and, and Luke, who tells a story as well, they use a different word for good than what I would expect. And so quite literally, what the Greek says is, if your eye is single, if you're talking about healthy, if your eye is healthy, as we read in English, but in the Greek is, is your eye hapolos, is it single? Which is not what I'd expect. It, that word does not connect at all to the word tov through the Septuagint. And I really wrestled last week with like, what does this mean? And why are they doing this? That word is in the uh, Septuagint only once. It's in Proverbs 11.25. And um, the word there in, in Proverbs 11.25 is generous. Uh, the Hebrew word, I believe, is uh, barakah, which means to, to tell a blessing or to say a blessing. It's Mm-hmm. That's that's the sense for that word. But in Matthew six, Jesus is saying you could only serve one master, and he goes on to say that you cannot serve God and um, my most English versions will say money. One version I think says uh, mammon, or or a couple of versions say mammon. Um, the word in the Greek is uh, mamonos, which is related to a Hebrew word, uh, aman, which means to trust. So you can't serve God in whatever it is you trust. Now, money is the, probably the number one thing that we kind of lean on to, to trust. And so it, it's not an awful translation. It's not bad to, to use money there. But, but I, what I wonder is this. Did Jesus in the Hebrew originally say tov, which means good, and when they translated the Hebrew text into Greek or when they wrote out, maybe they just wrote it out in Greek the first time, uh, from hearing or remembering what Jesus said in the Hebrew, did Jesus say tov and they decided to help us out to kind of push us towards this conversation of have, of serving one master did they did they translate that for for us just to kind of help us? Because I do that all the time. You know, if I'm reading something and I don't think someone's going to understand what I'm reading, I'll translate the word for them. I did that with my kids. If I if I was reading my Bible and I didn't think they were going to understand the word, I would change the word. You know, that I'm not being disingenuous by doing that. I'm mm-hmm. I'm helping. So did Jesus say Tove and and when the when the uh, New Testament writers wrote this down for the first time in the Greek, did they translate it for us to help us get the picture? Or did Jesus use a different word, everybody expecting him to say tov, but uses a different word to kind of catch them off guard to make them really think about what it is he's, he's trying to say? I mean, the latter one sounds more like Jesus, like he would tell parables and make sure people had opportunities to fully understand what he said or catch a glimpse of what he was trying to get at. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, yeah. And either way, 
um, like the fear, first hearers of the gospel, they would have been, you know, the Jewish community hearing it in the Greek for the first time, they would have been like, wait a minute, that's not the word I expected. Because mm-hmm. there's a couple different Greek words that are used. There's there's at least two that I saw. There may be more that that they translate in the Septuagint from Tov to a couple different Greek word options, depending on the flavor. There's only something like 7,000 root Hebrew words and something like 50,000 Hebrew words. But if you know 7,000 words, you can actually read your Bible. Hmm. Versus, It's still a very large number. <laughs> yeah. That's a big number. <laughs> but in relative terms, compared to, like, our vocabulary in the English is much, much, much bigger. Right. Although I wonder, like, what are the, of the most common, uh, yeah, I've, I've always wondered about those statistics because I feel like, well, do we just have a lot of like weird medical words that nobody knows anyway? So I don't know. I don't know exactly, but yeah, definitely the, the density of the Hebrew language is, is much higher than English for sure. Well, but if you think in terms like even common words that we use like swim, swam, swimming, you know, like how many words do we know? Because we know all the, the present tense, past tense, right, passive, yeah. passive aggressive, you know, whatever. Yeah. I always wonder <laughs> if these numbers are, are counted in a convenient way to make a point or whatever, but that could be, that could be, um, yeah, I just want to like consider the context of the book of Matthew for a moment, though. So Matthew uh, is written to a Hebrew audience, and specifically this um, Sermon on the Mount passage, Matthew five through seven. If you look at the beginning of it, um, you you can see that even though there is a crowd in the area, Jesus is actually talking to his disciples. So the idea that he would take a concept that is familiar to them and switch out a word to make them, you know, sit up straight what, and oh, like, Whoa, what, wait a minute. You say? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you know, that seems like a very real possibility here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's such, such an interesting thought. And, and I, and again, I think if, if, your study of the scriptures calls, causes you to wrestle with God in, in deeper ways. Like that's always a good thing. Yeah. So we're not, we're not here just after head knowledge. We're, we're after, after uh, a deeper connection with our God. Yeah. I think, uh, it would, I would think it would be almost as easy to make a, a solid case that Jesus just said Tove in Hebrew talking to his disciples, which makes sense. And then whenever it was put into Greek, that audience had a, you know, it was sometime later when it was written down or translated to Greek and the context is different. And so they say, well, we, you know, things have changed now and we need to translate this for whatever their audience was. So I I think you could make a pretty solid case either way. And there might even be Mm -hmm. another alternative that we aren't talking about. 
Right, right. Well, that's fun stuff. I had one other interesting thing that I wanted to share. Uh, yeah. That I, when I was researching the uh, Ain Ra'a versus Ain Hara spelling thing, I came across uh, this portion of the, I think it's pronounced Gemara, Gemara or something. I'm not sure. Uh, it's part of the mm. Talmud, part of the, um, part of the Jewish commentary, uh, ultimately on the scriptures. Uh, but, sure. but it relays this story of a rabbi who's walking by a cemetery with his, um, with his disciples and saying, um, look at all of the, look at all of the people who are here. And he says that 99% of them came here earlier than their time uh, earlier than their appointed time due to the effects of Ayin Ra'a. Ayin Ra'a is so powerful, is so strong that when you look at the world that way, uh, you are, you're killing people earlier than they, they should be. Mm. Interesting. And obviously like, it's like, well, wait a minute. How does that work? Like, yeah, there's a lot of questions to it, but just think about the power of how you view people and what it does to them. And, and yeah, it is, it is a very powerful force. So I, I see that from both sides where if you look at me with an evil eye, that has a negative impact on me. And, and as from a communal standpoint, we have to be careful about our impact, how, how we're impacting each other because because that matters. But um, on the flip side, when I look at you with an evil eye, I'm hurting myself. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, how great is the darkness inside of you? And, and that darkness has, has a negative impact. Like we could like, just think in terms of like what anger does to the body. And, and if you, you know, if you stay angry for a long period of time, the negative impact that does has on you physiologically. And so both sides of that is, you know, is a real important thing yeah. for us to consider. Um, it's not directly connected, but I'm doing a Bible reading through the year thing. So just started in Genesis and the, where it, God's talking to Cain about like sin is crouching at your door. That kind of reminds me of the same thing. Like if you are viewing people in anger and bitterness, it's the same as sin crouching at your door. But if you choose to have tove towards them, like how that changes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No kidding. Talk about Ayn Ra there with Cain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not looking on his brother with favor at all. Not at all. I would say that is totally connected. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> that plays out well. Well, Brent, man, it's good to see your face again because we're uh, doing this on Zoom. And uh, great to hear your voice and just uh, love, love wrestling through the scriptures with you, brother. And uh, thank you for what you guys are doing through Baymont. Um, it's had a huge impact on on uh, us 
as a church and um, and a number of our individuals, you know, have been impacted through Baymas. So thank you for that investment. I know you guys are online. Uh, give us the website. Uh, BaymaDiscipleship.com. B-E-M-A Discipleship.com. Fantastic resource. If you want to wrestle through the scriptures and just ask some some great questions about what is God trying to do here, and and if you want to just really dig in, um, what they provide is just fantastic. So, one other question for Jen: Did you yeah. end up watching Fiddler on the Roof? Dang it, Brent! Don't ask that question. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I only ask it because I uh, was supposed to. So. I went to Israel and Turkey with Marty on his 2016 trip, and it was a suggested preparation item. So we had a, a whole, okay. we had a number of videos to watch and some material to go through and some uh, maps to study and whatever just to, to help give us a little bit of context before we <laughs> land. And uh, <laughs> when uh, when Marty said, "Well, if you want to, you could watch Fiddler on the Roof, and that that might be helpful," and I'm like, "Well." I've never done any homework that was optional before. <laughs> so, of course, I never watched it. And to this day, I have not watched it. And so I just want you to know that, that I am there with you. I have never seen Fiddler awesome. on the Roof. Mm. Okay. I feel so much better now. <laughs> so, Jen, this is not optional. You need no. to do this. I'm not sure how I make this not optional. But um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. Here's the reason for watching it. If you want to get an insight into the mindset of of an observant Jew, watch this film. This is this is how they live and breathe. It's just a it's a thumbnail, but but it's a few hours of oh, it's it's an immersing yourself in the culture for just a few hours. It's just a thumbnail, hmm. but um, and it also. Um, a few being three hours, by the way, just right. to, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long movie. It's two, it's two and a half, two plus hours. If I remember three correctly. hours and one minute, I mean, according if... to my sources, <laughs> but I guess you just I watched guess Wonder, I Wonder Woman 84. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Wonder Woman 84. I was so excited about that movie and I've heard, nothing but bad things except for Logan who said it's not as bad as everyone else says <laughs> like okay great they're really selling it here <laughs> yeah that's not a glowing recommendation <laughs> there you go well thanks for having me guys I really appreciate the uh, the, the conversation it's great yep yeah. thank you buddy it was nice to meet you likewise so, so join us again next week for another episode have a great week guys bye You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes. So I'm I sure have I'll see watched it, at one it point, twice. Really? 
Okay. Well, I watched it on Christmas Eve with friends, and then I watched it with my family when they were in town, and I didn't necessarily want to watch it the second time. Now, did it did it come <laughs> up Christmas Eve? Like, did it come out on Christmas, and you stayed up late Christmas Eve? Oh, it was Eve? Christmas Day. Okay, Christmas yeah, Day. We did it Christmas Day. I'm like, wow, yeah. midnight movie. Okay, I like this. I like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Brent's been known for that. I love midnight movies. Yes, let's do that. Yeah, but. total total night owl. And I will. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch Fiddler on the Roof tonight. Do a little like eleven to two a.m. time frame. Could work. Yeah. Your boy's lungs are in full use. Are you hearing that? Yeah, he is apparently <laughs> back, which means we've been recording for too long. I think so. We better shut this down. <laughs> We better. Logan's going to be figuring out what he's going to be clipping out of this. So that'll be fun. I will say I'm I'm going to be really disappointed if there's not an Easter egg that shows up after the music on this one. I know. Let's see what Logan could do with one hand. Come on, Lefty. <laughs>